Now, how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? It's really rather simple. You see, whenever you come across a big topic or a big story that you think we should talk about here on the show, simply go 24-7 over to the www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Alon Abadi. And Alon writes, greetings, John and Rob. Well, once again, it's unfortunately, it's just me in here today. Uh, from Tel Aviv, I am a bit anxious about the upcoming Mortal Kombat 2021 movie. It's supposed to come out on January 15th, which is really soon, but so far it hadn't dropped any trailers. None. To me, the lack of marketing feels like a B-movie release or, God forbid, a straight-to-TV movie, which a lot of them, according to Warner Brothers, are nowadays, a straight-to-TV movie. Am I reading too much into it? Is it simply not the time to spend money on marketing, or can this actually be a warning sign? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Okay, thanks a lot for sending that in. And there's a number of pieces to this puzzle to kind of break down. Let's start with one of the things off the top, and that's a general sort of principle. How early or how late a movie begins its marketing campaign says nothing about the potential quality of that movie. If any, because some people consider, you know, oh my gosh, they haven't started putting out trailers for this movie. That means they have no confidence. When in reality, you could argue the complete opposite. You could argue, oh my gosh, they're putting out trailers for that nine months in advance. They must think that movie's terrible if they're desperate to get as many people into the theaters on opening weekend as possible, right? It can go either way. I, I don't necessarily mean it has to be that way. I'm just saying it can go either way. So it doesn't necessarily mean things are bad because you haven't seen a trailer there. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. There is an interesting situation surrounding Mortal Kombat, though. A lot of people are saying that is scheduled to come out on January 15th. And I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I simply don't know that that's actually true. I know it was scheduled to come out on January 15th, but not so long ago, the producer of the film, Doc, uh, Todd Garner. Now, this is before the Warner Brothers HBO announcement, okay? This was before Warner Brothers made their announcement about moving everything over to HBO. But Todd Garner, the producer of Mortal Kombat, said, well... I thought by the cast, uh, the cast, social media, you would you would have figured out uh, we're shooting a few more days. We've always planned for it and thought we'd do it in March. The pandemic had other plans. We won't have a release date for the movie until theaters reopen. Same for a trailer. So now, before the other day, Warner Brothers and HBO put out their big announcement that they're Warner Brothers putting all the movies over to HBO Max. The producer of Mortal Kombat said, you know what? That January, our release date is no longer our release date. We were going to do some reshooting, much like all big movies do. We were going to do reshooting in March. Obviously, the pandemic got in the way of that. So as of right now, we're not even going to announce a new release date until theaters reopen. And until the theaters reopen, we won't even worry about a trailer. Now, clearly, they don't have to worry too much about theaters reopening now since Warner Brothers wants to put the movie straight onto HBO Max. But... 
while some outlets are still saying that uh, that Mortal Kombat is going to come out on January 15th, a number of others are, I believe, correctly saying as of right now, Warner Brothers has not set a new date for it. So, I mean, look, it could go either way. I have sent out a couple of messages asking for clarification, but I haven't heard back yet. So it is possible that Warner Brothers and HBO Max will debut Mortal Kombat on January 15th, like it was going to in theaters previously until the producer said they wasn't. Anyway, right now, it seems to me that the most likely situation is that as of right now, Warner Brothers does not have a release date for Mortal Kombat. It'll be sometime in 2021. They did list that as the movies that they'll be putting straight to HBO Max. But as far as I can tell, there is nothing going on here. So I wouldn't worry about it. It seems like we're just gonna have to wait to find out when the movie is going to come out. Anyway, guys, what do you think about that? Have you heard information I haven't? Like I said, some outlets are still saying January 15th, but I think that is outdated information. When do you think Mortal Kombat will finally come out and we'll start seeing trailers for it? And are you looking forward to the movie? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down and out of the way, Let's get into this crap storm, shall we? And for the next question, we're going to go over to our friend, uh, Michael Roberts. And Michael Roberts writes, Did you happen to see the statement that Christopher Nolan sent out in regard to Warner Brothers straight-to-streaming announcement? Wow, he absolutely tore them apart. Do you think this will have any effect on the decision-making at Warner Brothers? And how do you think it affects their relationship between creators, actors, and studios, specifically Warner Brothers? Will Nolan refuse to work for them? Void his contract? Keep up the good work. P.S. Movie trailers, a love story was amazing and eye-opening. I learned a lot. Well, thank you so much for that, Michael Roberts. Always glad to hear somebody giving the movie a little bit of a plug. All right. So here's, here's, here's where it goes, guys. The complete crap storm has begun. And Christopher Nolan is at the forefront of it. Now, let me give this just a little bit of context, okay? Let's step back before we get to Christopher Nolan's comments and give a little bit of context. When Warner Brothers made the announcement that they were going to be putting all of their uh, movies straight to HBO Max, somebody wrote into my show and asked, hey, what are they going to do? How will this affect pre-existing deals on those movies? Because these movies, the filmmakers, the actors, the writers, the producers, the directors, they thought they were making a movie that was going to get a big theatrical release and make X amount of money at the box office and all that kind of stuff. How is their deals going to be affected by Warner Brothers now dumping it on to HBO Max? And it was a good question somebody asked this weekend. And my answer to that at the time was, well, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm going to assume, that was my first mistake, I'm going to assume that Warner Brothers being a smart company, what Warner Brothers is going to do is that they will reach out to all the involved parties prior to making the announcement. My guess is, Weeks ago, they started talking to all the representation and all the people involved, and they probably worked out their deals to say, okay, we know that we were going to be putting, let's say, In the Heights with Lin-Manuel Miranda. We know, Lin-Manuel, that we were going to put In the Heights in movie theaters, but you know, now we're doing this, so let's work out a deal so you're happy and we're happy with it going on HBO Max. I had assumed 
that that's what Warner Brothers did. After all, that is what Warner Brothers did with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot for Wonder Woman 84. Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot had a specific thing in their contract that said they were going to get a certain percentage and certain bonuses depending on the box office performance of Wonder Woman. So what Warner Brothers did was Warner Brothers went to Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot and said, okay, tell you what, we're going to put it straight to HBO Max, but let's honor your deal and let's agree that Wonder Woman would have made a billion dollars. Which is not a bad assumption, actually. That's a that's a pretty good assumption. I think Wonder Woman probably could have come in right around a billion dollars. Maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but right around a billion dollars to me is a fair number. So they said to Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, tell you what, let's just assume that Wonder Woman would have made a billion dollars and we will pay out your bonuses and your back-end fees based on the assumption that Wonder Woman would have made a billion dollars, Right. That's what Warner Brothers did. So I kind of assumed that they would do the same thing with all the other parties involved. But here's the catch. They didn't do that with all the other parties involved. We found out yesterday and we talked about yesterday that Warner Brothers production partner, Legendary Pictures, didn't even know that Warner Brothers was going to be making this announcement. Didn't even know. That this movie, there's a couple of them, but Dune in particular, this movie Dune, that Legendary had put 75% of the budget into, like probably over $125 million that Legendary put into Dune, they didn't even know Warner Brothers was going to take that movie now and dump it onto HBO Max. Caught them totally by surprise. No advanced warning. And as it turns out, it looks like a lot of people were given no advance warning. Christopher Nolan then came out and made a public statement. Now, it should be noted here, Christopher Nolan is not the only one pissed off. Everybody in the business seems to be pissed off at Warner Brothers right now. But Christopher Nolan is the one being vocal about it. Listen to a couple of comments that Christopher Nolan, who has done a lot of great things with Warner Brothers, he's done. He's made them a lot of money. He's given them a lot of prestige films. He's made... Some people consider the greatest superhero trilogy in all, of all time with Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. He gave them Inception. He gave them Interstellar. He gave them all these prestige films. This is Warner. This is Christopher Nolan. Some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed. This is Christopher Nolan talking about HBO and Warner Brothers. Some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking that they were working for the greatest movie studio and they woke up to find out they were working for the worst streaming service. <laughs> Let me read that again. Some of our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out that they were instead working for the worst streaming service. Christopher Nolan just took off the kitty gloves and not only punched Warner Brothers in the balls, but then he turned around with one same motion and then kicked HBO Max separately, completely in the ass. So not only did he just spit all over Warner Brothers, he then just for a good measure followed up with a shot on HBO Max as well. Not only are we not working for the greatest movie studio, we are in fact working for the worst streaming service. Uh, he goes on to say in... Um, uh, in another interview, there's such controversy. Again, this is still Christopher Nolan. There's such controversy around it because they didn't tell anyone 
said Nolan in an Entertainment Tonight online interview released on Monday. It's very, 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 very messy. A real bait and switch. Yeah, it's sort of not how you treat filmmakers and stars and people who these guys have given a lot to these projects. They deserve to be consulted and spoken to about what's going to happen to their work. Now, look, let's also, you know, not lose sight of the context here. Christopher Nolan is an avid supporter of the movie theater going experience. That's true. But some people are mistakenly making the assumption here that the reason Christopher Nolan is getting mad is because this Warner Brothers and HBO Max move is undermining the theatrical, the, the, uh, theatrical experience. But that's not true. While I'm sure that Christopher Nolan is unhappy about what this does to the theatrical experience, what Christopher Nolan specifically is talking about is the fact that in good faith, producers, writers, directors, actors, on and on and on, filmmakers in good faith made these projects believing that their project was going to be a full theatrical release and a number of them had the same kind of deals that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot had where they had some financial benefit to it being released in theaters. And then with no warning, no consultation, and no consideration Warner Brothers just came out and said, we have unilaterally made a decision that we're going to take all these movies and we're going to dump them on HBO Max. We are going to use your work, which you thought you were making for, the, for a big theatrical release with box office repercussions and all this kind of stuff. We are going to take your work now and use your work to promote our side business. We're going to use your work now as a promotion because we're falling behind Disney Plus. Disney Plus is kicking our asses. We can't catch up with Netflix and Disney Plus came out roughly the same time and they're kicking our asses. So we got to do something. So we're going to use your work and we're going to use it for to promote our streaming service. To which the filmmakers are saying that wasn't the deal. And then in their best Darth Vader voice, Warner Brothers is saying, we are altering the deal. Pray we do not alter it further. That's basically what Warner Brothers is trying to say to all these filmmakers. And again, put aside our own personal biases. Wherever we are at on the theatrical versus streaming, put that aside for a second. Because you know I have my personal opinions about that too. But let's take those, whichever personal biases they are, let's put those aside for a second. Christopher Nolan is raising a very valid point. There are filmmakers, when I say filmmakers, I mean directors, producers, writers, actors, whatever. There are filmmakers who sign deals and agreed to get on board with movie projects and then invested three, four, five, six months, one year, two years of their lives into making these projects under the terms of certain agreements, understanding that there could be potential bigger windfalls for them after a theatrical release. And now they're being told you don't get that. And oh, by the way, that sweet little deal we made with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. And by the way, I don't blame Patty Jenkins or Gal Gadot for this at all. They got what they felt they deserved. But you know what? That sweet deal that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot got where we evaluated what we thought the movie would have made in theaters and then paid them accordingly. We're not going to do that for the rest of you. You guys remember on yesterday's show, we broke down how the financial 
uh, the financials actually break down differently for how Warner Brothers dealt with the Wonder Woman film. And now they're dealing with all these 2021 films completely differently. And they're not getting as good of a deal as Patty Jenkins and uh, Gal Gadot got. And that is pissing a lot of people off. And we're going to talk in our next topic about the kind of repercussions that could have. So on one hand, I'm seeing some people online mistakenly, mistakenly kind of coming to the conclusion of, oh, this is just Christopher Nolan having sour grapes about what happened to Tenant and how he wants everything to be in movie theaters. But that's being short-sighted. That's not what Christopher Nolan is complaining about. Christopher Nolan is saying, all these filmmakers went to bed one night thinking one thing and then waking up to a completely different reality that they were never even talked to about. And that's not right. And I got to tell you, I was completely shocked when I found out that all this was going on. When I found out yesterday that Warner Brothers never consulted legendary pictures, the people who put up all that money for so many of Warner Brothers films never consulted them. And then to find out that they never talked to the directors, to the producers, to the actors, the people who had, they had contractual agreements with, they never talked to them. They just unilaterally came out and did that. Now, Warner Brothers seems to be taking the approach of the elephant cares not for the cares of the ant. That seems to be Warner Brothers' approach, right? The elephant cares not for the wants and cares of the ant. If an elephant steps on an ant, whatever, no big deal. That seems to be Warner Brothers' approach. We're Warner Brothers. We don't care what anybody else thinks. And we don't care how you feel. And we don't care if we're acting in bad faith. And we don't care if we're going to break our promises to you. We're going to do this because we want to do this. And I don't like to think that. You guys know I really like Warner Brothers. And I have a number of friends. I have some very good friends who are at Warner Brothers. But this is a very ass-backwards way of doing business. And here's the problem. You burn enough bridges, you're not going to have anybody willing to work with you again in the future. And that brings up, like when I first heard about this Warner Brothers HBO thing, my assumption was, oh, they worked out all the details behind the scenes and then made the announcement. Okay. I get it. I don't like it because I'm a theater fan, but I get it. It makes sense. But now we're hearing all this stuff coming out. And Christopher Nolan is just the tip of the spear. I'm sorry. Can I bring up that one quote again? <laughs> Some in our industry's biggest filmmakers and most important movie stars went to bed the night before thinking they were working for the greatest movie studio and woke up to find out they were actually working for the worst streaming service. Oh, Christopher Nolan, you wordsmith. You wordsmith. I may not have loved Tenet, but you're a wordsmith, my friend. Anyway, guys, what do you think? About Christopher Nolan's comments in there, I, I think they are actually very poignant and actually he's right on the money, to be honest with you. What do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, we're not done with this situation yet. Oh, there's more. And to get to that more, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Greg Thames, who writes, Hey, John, in the process of pissing off Christopher Nolan, James Gunn, and Denis Villeneuve, it looks like Warner Brothers also pissed off the entire Directors Guild who are talking about a profession-wide boycott of Warner Brothers. Considering how interconnected all the unions are, could a DGA boycott kill Warner Brothers' plans? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, 
this goes way beyond Christopher Nolan. You know, we just talked about Christopher Nolan aired his extreme displeasure about what was going on and what is going on over at Warner Brothers with their move now to move everything over to HBO Max. He's unhappy about it. But guess what? The reports are now coming out that Christopher Nolan is not the only one. He may be the only one who's super vocal about it right now, but he's not the only one. There are reports coming in that James Gunn, director of Suicide Squad, is very upset with what's been going on. There are reports coming in that Denis Villeneuve is very upset about what's going on. To make the matter even bigger is the fact that the guild that Denis Villeneuve, that uh, Christopher Nolan, that James Gunn, that 99.9% of all directors in Hollywood belong to, the Directors Guild of America, There is word coming out this morning in a story in the New York Times that the Directors Guild of America is actually having some conversations right now about a guild-wide boycott of Warner Brothers. The Directors Guild of America, according to the New York Times, are having conversations about a straight-up boycott of any member of the DGA working with Warner Brothers. This is or would be insanely huge. This would be a seismic disturbance in the force if this were to happen. I can't remember the last time. Honestly, I can't think of a time when the DGA straight up boycotted one of the major studios. I mean, when there was labor negotiations and things like that, and they were negotiating their collective bargaining. Maybe there have been things that look like this, but I can't recall anything like this. This is how seriously the directors are looking at this right now. And it ain't just the directors, by the way. It's not just the directors. It's all the agencies who represent the actors. They're hearing from their clients right now, and they're pissed. It's the agencies who represent the writers who are hearing from their clients, and they are pissed. It's the agencies that represent these directors who are hearing from their clients and they are pissed. Uh, This one thing comes, uh, this is one of the parts coming out of the New York Times article that says this, uh, the surprise, listen to this, the surprise move left agencies, the surprise move talking about Warner Brothers moving all their films over to HBO Max, the surprise move left agencies on a war footing. Representatives for major Warner Brothers stars like Denzel Washington, Margot Robbie, Will Smith, Keanu Reeves, Hugh Jackman, Angelina Jolie wanted to know why their clients had been treated in a lesser manner than Gal Gadot or Patty Jenkins were. A talk of a Warner Brothers boycott being circulated inside the Directors Guild of America, which we are talking about as well. Now, this goes back to a point that we were making a little bit earlier, right? Remember, Warner Brothers dealt with Wonder Woman in a totally separate way. They went to the filmmakers of Wonder Woman and said, we're going to pretend your movie made a billion dollars at the box office and we are going to pay out your bonuses and back-end stipulations as if it made a billion dollars. That meant like $10 million for Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins. That was huge. But they're not doing that. Warner Brothers is not doing that for everybody else. They're not doing that for... Uh, Dune, and they're not doing that for Matrix 4, and they're not doing that for In the Heights, and they're not doing that for, I forget the name of uh, Denzel's upcoming movie, and they're not doing that 
for King Richard, the upcoming Will Smith movie that our very own Aaron Cummings is going to be in, by the way. In case you guys didn't know that, you know Aaron Cummings? She's going to be in that movie with Will Smith. Anyway, they didn't give them that same deal. They didn't consult them. They didn't talk to them. And now they and their agencies are completely pissed off. So now Warner Brothers has gone about in one move pissing off their production partners in Legendary. They've pissed off their crown jewel filmmaker in Christopher Nolan. They've pissed off the entire Directors Guild, and they've pissed off all the agents and agencies who represents all the writers and all the stars. Warner Brothers has stepped in the shit. They have completely stepped in it here. Now, remember, before you might start thinking, John, this is just you being bitter about the death of movie theaters. Oh, make no mistake. There is a very there's a part of my heart dying because of the death of movie theaters. Make no mistake. But if you guys remember on the weekend, I said, listen, I don't like that we're losing movie theaters, but all this stuff that Warner Brothers doing totally understandable. I may not like it, but it's understandable because I had assumed they had talked to all these people already and made deals and they didn't. And they backed out of their deals. Now, some people may be wondering, well, I mean, who cares, John? Who cares? I actually had somebody in the live chat today um, write in, well, who cares if Christopher Nolan or the DGA don't want to make movies for Warner Brothers? There's tons of other directors out there waiting for a shot. Ah, oh no, my friends. It becomes really complicated. It becomes really complicated. Because let's step into the Campia classroom for a second, my friends. Not that I am an expert on the inner workings of the guilds, but these are just some general principles, all right? This could theoretically... Now, remember, it's important to, to highlight here. The New York Times is simply saying there's talks in the DGA right now about a DGA boycott of Warner Brothers. Let's be very clear about that. D, the DGA have not announced any kind of boycott or any kind of censures against Warner Brothers at this point. The New York Times article is simply pointing out that right now there are discussions going on at the Directors Guild about boycotting Warner Brothers. So let's keep that very, very, very important distinction in mind. Now let's talk about why that could be very serious if it were to come to pass. Because it's not just about the DGA things, right? There was, uh, in, a, in basic terms, um, collective bargaining, right, with any union. And the Directors Guild is a union. And basically, there are, I'm sure I'm going to spell this wrong, uh, signatories. There are companies that sign this agreement, right? So the Directors Guild of America comes up with a set of rules of what you as a studio need to follow to work with one of our members, and then a number of big studios, Warner Brothers is one of them, sign on as signatories to that saying, yes, we recognize these terms and we agree to abide by the Directors Guild of America rules and we are on board. So now the Directors Guild of America has a relationship with these studios and these studios can use members of the Directors Guild of America. Now, not every single director in the world is a member of the Directors Guild. For example, I believe uh, Robert Rodriguez, I believe he's not a member of the Directors Guild, I think. I think Tarantino wasn't for a while, but Tarantino is now, I believe. But basically, just assume any director you hear of, just assume they, they are a part of the Directors Guild of America, right? So you have these, I knew I'd spell bargaining wrong. You had these, these studios that are in an agreement with the DGA. They can't use directors outside of the DGA because that's part of their agreement. Now, here's where it really becomes 
a uh, what I'm gonna call a shitstorm. Okay, this is where it really becomes a shitstorm. Okay, the unions work together. So yes, there is the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, but you also have SAG. That's the Screen Actors Guild, their union. You also have the WGA, which is the Writers Guild of America. And and basically speaking, is this. It's kind of like how World War II got started, all right? The DGA, SAG, and WGA, they will often work together and support each other. So when the WGA strike was going on, you know, SAG member, SAG was kind of saying, we are going to honor whatever you know thing the WGA strikes against and, and so on and so forth. Now, I'm not saying this is what would happen, but these are the dominoes that could fall. Because if the DGA says... Our members will not work with Warner Brothers. Well, that's 99% of the actual working directors in Hollywood. But then it could, could, could cause a ripple effect. SAG could then step up the Screen Actors Guild, which all your favorite actors belong to, the Screen Actors Guild. SAG could then, in response, step up and say, we are standing with our fellow union, the Directors Guild of America, and SAG members will no longer appear in Warner Brothers projects. Now keep following the dominoes. That could then spread out to the WGA. Says, you know what? Yeah, we are standing with our fellow unions, the DGA, SAG. We are no longer, our writers will no longer write for Warner Brothers. Now, again, I know I'm repeating it, but it's very, very important to point out. As of right now, the DGA has not said they're boycotting Warner Brothers. The New York Times is simply saying they're talking about it. But it's such a big deal that we need to discuss what the repercussions of that could be. That could lead them. And then DGA, SAG, WGA, guess who they all work with? They all work with agencies. And so then the agencies themselves could get on board and say, you know what? Just a big carpet thing. No one that we work with because the agents are really pissed off at Warner Brothers right now. They could just say, you know what? No, none of our clients are going to work with Warner Brothers. Again, that's not where we're at, but that is where we could be in a couple of weeks. That is where we could be in a couple of weeks. And it's crazy. And it is crazy how nuclear, how fast this whole situation has gone nuclear. It is absolutely amazing to me how fast this entire situation has gone completely nuclear. You got James Gunn, who's like a really easygoing guy, and, and all the reports coming out saying he's not. And think about it. It makes sense. Think about it from James Gunn's point of view, right? When James Gunn got fired by Disney, which was a boneheaded move on their part in the first place, but when James Gunn initially got fired by Disney, every studio in the business lined up and threw offers at James Gunn's feet. James Gunn had a lot of options. James Gunn could have done a lot of different things. And he chose to go with Warner Brothers to make a Suicide Squad movie, which to him seemed like a lot of fun. But today, if he could, he could personally, theoretically, lose out on millions upon millions of dollars in back-end payments, in bonus triggers because of box office and all that kind of stuff. He literally could be losing out on millions and millions of dollars. Potentially. And he's waking up today thinking, I could have taken an offer from Paramount and made my money. 
I could have taken an offer from Universal and made my money. I could have taken an offer from Sony and made my money. So it's not just Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan's the guy being vocal about it. But there are a lot of people who are very, very, very pissed off. And again, I just want everybody to keep this in mind. This is a worst case scenario. Yes. But it could this get this bad. If they do say, if the DGA does say our directors are no longer going to work with Warner Brothers, well, that takes away 99.9% of directors that are out there. And to stand in solidarity with their fellow with their fellow union, SAG could say, you know, maybe, maybe Warner Brothers says, well, we'll just break our deal with the Directors Guild of America and we'll go hire John Campia. Yeah, he just made that kick-ass documentary. That's one of the greatest documentaries, movie trailers, a love story. Oscar written all over it. That is one of the best movie movie documentaries ever made in history. I'm sure that's exactly what Warner Brothers is saying in their halls right now. Yeah, so we're, you know what? Screw it. John Campia's not a member of the Directors Guild of America. We're going to go out and get John Campia to, oh boy, wouldn't that be Armageddon? We're going to go out and get John Campia to direct our next big blockbuster. Okay, maybe they could do that, but here's the problem. SAG could then say, well, no, we're going to stand in solidarity with our Directors Guild brothers and sisters. Therefore, no, no SAG member will be allowed to work in your films either. So that's great. You go and get John Campia to direct your film. Great. But now no members of SAG will star in it. Okay, no problem. You know what? We've seen John Campia show. He's a real character. John Campia will direct and star in our new upcoming big blockbuster films. Congratulations, John Campia. It's a great day for everybody. Okay, then one second now. The WGA then says, well, wait a minute. We're going to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in SAG and the DJ. We're not going to, our writers will not write it. No problem. Campia's got a sharp, he's a wordsmith, that John Campia. He's going to write, okay. So you can see how terrible this can get real, real fast, right? This could be potentially, this could be an Armageddon. Now, the question of, that um, that Greg asks right near the end, could a DGA boycott kill Warner Brothers plans? Could the specter of a total cataclysmic meltdown for Warner Brothers where directors, actors, writers all stand up and refuse? There's multiple lawsuits. Oh, and I believe there's going to be lawsuits. Remember yesterday we talked about Legendary is now talking about taking legal action and sending out legal memos to Warner Brothers. So maybe there could be multiple lawsuits, unions refusing to work with them, blah, blah, blah. Could the specter of all this make the juggernaut that is Warner Brothers stop, reconsider, and turn back? Could we, in a couple of days, get a new news release from Warner Brothers that says, you know what, guys? Um... We're seeing some real promising results of these uh, vaccine trials. We're seeing, you know what? We think the movie theaters will be back up and running, you know, come uh, April. Yeah, come April. We think we're going to be in a pretty good place. You know what? Forget what we said about putting everything on HBO Max other than Warner, uh, other than Wonder Woman 84. Forget what we said about all that. Movie theaters for Matrix 4. Could that happen? could sure maybe even more than could maybe there's actually a half decent chance if the agents if the directors if the actors guild if the writers if all of them and legendary other producing partners with warner brothers if they all stand in solidarity and push back on warner brothers it's possible 
it's possible Warner Brothers could, you know, just eat crow and say, you know what, guys, we know we said this last week. We've changed our minds. We're going to go back and we're going to do theatrical releases for these films. It is possible. I don't know that it's likely. I think Warner Brothers, I think they knew there could be pushback. I think Warner Brothers dug in their heels and they just said, this is what we're going to do. And they braced for the storm that would come. And I think it's more likely that Warner Brothers will not change their minds and will not change course. Uh, They may have to eat a lot of heavy losses. They may have to lose a bunch of lawsuits. They may have to have a lot of decisions made against them. That's going to cost them hundreds of millions of dollars, but I think they I think it is more likely that they stay the course. I wish they wouldn't, but I think they're going to stay the course. But it, it is it is possible. It is so, certainly possible they could change course on this. I don't really know. Question is, guys, what do you think about all this? And what do you think could the fallout of all this be? Could maybe all this just blow over in a couple of weeks? Maybe Warner Brothers and these agencies and guilds make a lot of back-channel deals over the next coming days. Maybe this all blows over. Maybe this goes totally nuclear. Maybe this becomes a giant cataclysm for Warner Brothers. Maybe they do change directions. What do you guys think is going to happen right now? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're not going to go over and start taking your live comments and questions. If you want to get in a live comment or question on the show, it's really easy. Simply go to the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video, or you can just enter it in manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show, and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us involved here with the John Campus Show, thank you guys very much for your support. All right, let's get on to it, shall we? And we're going to go on to our first live question. Our first live question right now comes to us from Matthew Denton, who writes, Now that the death of movie theaters is here, do you think you will lose interest in doing your show? Since your your love of going to the theaters is such a big part of why you got into this, I personally don't know if I will get as excited about movies. Um, I don't think so. I mean, listen, my favorite part about movies is the movie going experience. But my first love is just the movies, right? My first love is the movies. Let's let's put it this way. I love um I love Anne's hair. I, I I'm just I'm just pulling something out of my ass here. My wife Anne. I love Anne's hair. It is it is I love looking at her hair. I love smelling her hair when I wake up in the morning. She's nuzzled up to me. And even before I open my eyes, I, I recognize the scent of her hair. I love the way her hair, you know, flows in the breeze as, as you know, go for a run or something like that. Or what? I'm just talking here. If tomorrow Anne shaved her head, would I still love Anne? Of course I would. Still Anne. Yeah, I'll miss her hair. But if she decided to shave her head tomorrow. Um, I, I'm fine. She wanted to go Lex Luthor on me, little 105 pound Filipina Lex Luthor. All right. I'll, 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 I'll take that. I'll deal with that. But, but yeah, I would miss the hair, but I would still love Anne. Right. I, the, the movie going experience is my favorite thing in the world. Absolutely. But at the core of that is that I love movies. So yes, even without the theatrical experience, even though I love the theatrical experience, even though there's nothing better, there's no better way to enjoy a movie than in a true theatrical experience. Yeah, I'd miss that, but I I, I would move on. <laughs> I, I would deal with it and move on. I, it's still like, cause at its core, I just love the movies. All right. Next up, uh, Chago, uh, minion rights. 
Hey, John and Rob. So Wonder Woman 84 has a runtime of two hours and 31 minutes. So uh, with the new movie in the coming years, so with new movie in the coming years and going to streaming and theaters, could we see movies getting to three hours plus runtime uh, if needed? Thanks. Um, could we see a three hour runtimes? Like, okay, look, so. At the heart of it, one of the, the points Chago is miss, is making here is that one of the reasons why movies don't have super long runtimes on a regular basis is because uh, theaters need to be able to have certain number of screenings per day. Theaters need to be able to show certain number of screenings in the theaters per day. They have to be able to do that. So they can't let the movies be too long because if you let the movie, if you have too many movies that are that are too long, what you would start having is instead of a movie or a theater being able to have, you know, five screenings a day of a film, all of a sudden now that theater can only show three screenings of that movie today because of the runtime. And that would ultimately and to some degree affect and impact uh, the income of the movie and how much money the movie can make. So there's that. So that is, that is definitely something that, that is part of the deal and part of the problem that they face. However, it's not the only problem that they face, right? Movie runtime, the longer a movie is, the more expensive the movie is to make, for example. Like, if you're making an hour and a half movie, you may need your cast and crew on set for, like, I don't know, you may need your cast and crew on set for three months, right? You need your cast and crew on set for three months, or most likely probably two months. But now, and so it's going to cost you X amount of money to do all that, time is money, every minute you're on set of a movie costs money, all this kind of stuff. Now, though, if you that hour and a half movie is suddenly three hours long, well, now you're dealing with doubling the expense of all that. Maybe not doubling the cost of the actors, but you're doubling the expense of making the movie. And so there's those factors as well. There's another factor involved that do audience, when audiences sit down to watch one full contained movie, do they want to sit down for three, three and a half hours? Most of the time, no. So I don't think we would see, I, I, now I'm just guessing here, but I don't think we would see a massive increase in the length of movies if they all switch over to streaming, which looks like the way things are going. But if that does happen, I don't think I see a massive increase in the length of movies because it'd be more expensive. There's still, you have to still take in viewers' viewing habits into consideration. So, yeah, I think, think that we'd still see movies average between one and a half to two and a half hours. I still think that would be the case, with some exceptions going a little bit longer, just as they are now. Good question, though, Chago. All right, Thomas97 writes, Hey, guys, I saw Apple TV bought the Russo Brothers movie Cherry for the for award season. What do you think of Tom Holland portraying this complicated role, a veteran, PTSD, drugs, bank robber, and apparently is a love story, too? He is 24, but he looks younger. I don't know. Honestly, I think Tom Holland can look 24. Like when I saw him in uh, what was that damn Netflix movie he was just in? Um, what was the name of it again? 
him and Robert Pattinson. I'm forgetting the name of it. I didn't actually like the movie all that much, but Tom Holland's quite good in it. When Tom Holland wants to play a little bit more mature, he comes across, I think he comes across the right age. When he wants to play a teenager, he comes across as a teenager. When he wants to play a little bit older, I feel like he comes across okay. Listen, I've always thought the sounds of this movie were very interesting. I remember we talked about this movie like six months ago when we first got the breakdown of the story. And I think it sounds very interesting. Now, how good is it? We'll have to wait and see. So far, the Russo brothers have not impressed me outside of their MCU work. Right. I thought, uh, what was it? Uh, 21 Bridges or 12 Bridges, whatever the Chadwick Boseman film was. R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. That movie wasn't very good. I know a lot of people like Extraction because I'm a and I'm a huge Chris Hemsworth fan. I thought Extraction was actually a pretty poor movie. Some excellent action scenes, but I thought it was a pretty poor movie. So I think the story sounds good. I think the jury is still out on how good the Russo brothers can be without Kevin Feige and without the MCU. But I'm going to be very, very interested in seeing this. It's definitely on my radar, Thomas. All right. Russell Amador writes, um, hey, John, that feel good feeling you get in trailers as seen in your documentary. Well done. Thank you for that, Russell. I get from the minute long Wonder Woman granted not much on the new footage, but the tone of it and the early reviews may have upped the excitement for me. I'll tell you what. So for those of you who don't know, there is a new Wonder Woman trailer out there. It's like a one minute new trailer that just came out. It's more targeted. It's more the romance trailer really more than anything else. This is the romance trailer. And I also did not think this trailer was very good. I am super thrilled that the early reviews for wonder woman 84 are so good because you know me, I, I just, as long as Patty Jenkins is involved, I'll buy in. Patty Jenkins is one of the best directors in the business. I love her work. So as long as she's in, I'll believe in it, but the trailers have not been good to me. To me, the trailers have not been good. And I'll be honest with you, man. I'm glad you like that new trailer, Russell. I I didn't like the trailer all that much. Remember, the job of a trailer is to take your expectation level and jump it up, right? This new trailer didn't do anything to make me more excited for the film. But that's just me. It worked for you, and that's the important thing. All right, next up, Todd Wiggins writes, one of two, uh, Mandalorian finale. Uh, Moff Gideon and Mando are going at it. Mando knocks the Darksaber away, but Moff somehow grabs the Beskar spear and begins to beat Mando with it. He starts to push the spear into Mando's chest when the Darksaber starts to rise. The Darksaber flies through the air, hitting Moff in the head. Uh, It flies into the hands of Grogu. Back to Mando. I knew it. Yeah, a little little MCU in there, right? I knew it. Just a little Thor in there, like when Mjolnir flew into Cap's hands. Hey, listen. I don't think that's what they should do, but make no mistake. If in the finale of Mandalorian, and I don't think they should do this and I don't think they will do this, but if in the finale of the Mandalorian, if baby Yoda ends up with the camera turning to him and he's standing there holding the dark saber, there is going to be a sexual phenomena that wipes across the globe that scientists will study for for generations where male viewers spontaneously ejaculated across the planet. People will lose their minds. People will absolutely lose their minds if somehow, some way, this thing ends up uh, with Baby Yoda having the um uh 
having the uh, dark saber in his hand, having the dark saber in his hand. Uh, so yeah, anyway, and, uh, that's just, it'll be crazy. Now I'm getting some people telling me that Molina, Alfred Molina is back as doc. Ock. Is that really, is that true? People are saying it's on the Hollywood reporter. I'm on the Hollywood reporter website right now. I don't see it. Hold on a second. Let me just double check this. This would be impressive if that was true. Because in a world where Jamie Foxx is, uh, let's see. I'm not seeing anything right now. Anyway, I'll, I'll double check that with that later. I'll double check on that later. As of right now, uh, I'm not seeing anything. I'm not seeing anything on the Hollywood Reporter the top story in the Hollywood Reporter right now is still that Christopher Nolan story. If I go over to that right now, the top story is still the Christopher Nolan story on the Hollywood Reporter. Howard Stern. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anything else, but I will keep my eyes open on that. I will keep my eyes open for that. Okay. Anyway, for now, maybe that's something. Um, Maybe it's something I'll have to go to a little bit later. Maybe that'll just be something we'll have to discuss tomorrow. Maybe it'll just be something that I'll, I'll look for that a little bit later. Okay, let's get back to it right now. Um, let's see. Hitchcock is the goat rights. <clears throat> My son and I binging Battlestar Galactica, greatest TV show of all time. Got Peacock with ads on Roku and not having cable since the 1990s. This has been my first chance to see it. Politicians on both sides can take leadership lessons from Bill uh, Adama. Uh, what a great show. Final season tomorrow. Listen, seriously. Battlestar Galactica is the GOAT. It is the greatest show. Battlestar Galactica is the best show of all time, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen a lot of great shows. I've come across a lot of great shows, but nothing has come close to uh, nothing has come close to Battlestar Galactica for me. It, it is it is the gold standard to me of television storytelling. And um I'm so glad you guys, you and uh, you and your family are getting on that, Hitchcock. That's great. All right. MD writes, um, one of three. What do you think this, uh, what do you think the saturation limit will be for streaming services on average for people? For example, <clears throat> I have Netflix, pretty obligatory. Disney Plus, a necessity for my kids. And Amazon Prime. Prime, come on, free delivery uh, and sports games. I also plan on getting HBO Max once it launches in the UK. I would say that's the core four right there. However, that's my limit. At what point will people say, I just can't add anymore? Um, surely some studios will end up being just content content providers. Is there really room for everyone to have a streaming platform profitably? A side note, trying to figure out how much uh, or how to watch what film and where in other countries is a pain. Yeah, I believe that. Listen, this all comes back, MD, to a larger story about, how do we put this? The, the larger thing about cord cutting in general, right? Cord cutting in general is what happens when the cost of streaming which was supposed to have when streaming was coming along and people like me were cutting the cord. It was supposed to be much, much, much cheaper now for us. One of the main reasons I cut the cord so many years ago and I got rid of my cable was because I wanted to be 
Uh, I wanted to just pay a lot less money because between my internet and my cable, I mean, just for my cable bill alone, I was spending like $120 a month just on cable. Maybe I eventually got that down to about $80 a month, but just for cable. And the promise of streaming many years ago was that it was going to be so much less expensive. Now today, however, we are in a place where I remember I told you about this a couple of weeks ago. I said today, because I just signed up for something else. Today, I am now officially paying more than I used to pay for cable. I am now officially paying more than I did for cable. When you take into account, uh, you know, Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN, Amazon, um, uh, CBS All Access, uh, Stars showcase. Um, and anyway, once I added it all up, I, I just got to the point where it's like, oh yeah, I am. I'm now officially paying more. And you're right. At some point it's going to become a problem. And also the movies to watch. Listen, when Warner brothers would put out a movie before you could go to any movie theater and probably see it. It's not that Warner brothers movies play in this city and Disney movies play in that city and whatever. You had to, for the most part, you, you could just go to any movie theater and watch it. Now, though, now, if you want to watch the Warner Brothers movie, well, guess what? You've got to be a member of that streaming service. You have to have that streaming service. If you want to watch the newest Disney movie, you got to be a member of the Disney streaming service. If at some point in the future, if you want to be watch the latest Paramount movie, you got to be a member of Paramount Plus. And that's going to make watching the content a little more tricky. A little more tricky. All right. I'm going to get to Hitchcock is the goat here in just a second. But I have found it out. Let's go over to this, guys. Let's go over breaking news as it is. In a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro and yay verily in a world where Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman, it should not stun any of us that apparently it's now out. Alfred Molina's Dr. Octopus is returning in Spider-Man 3. Alfred Molina. Now, I am finding this out as you guys are right now. Alfred Molina, who played Doc, uh, Dr. Octo Octavius in Spider-Man 2, will return as Doc Ock in Sony and Marvel's studio yet to be titled Spider-Man 3. Let's read through this together, shall we? Uh, this comes to the, Let's just jump over to the Hollywood Reporter story right now. It said, Alfred Molina, let me see if I can increase this font for you guys a bit. Alfred Molina is putting back on the metal arms and will reprise his role as the villainous Dr. Octopus, sources tell The Hollywood Reporter. Molina turned in a fan-favorite performance. Seriously, Spider-Man 2 was for a while, for a number of years, Spider-Man 2 was the greatest comic book movie ever made. And Alfred Molina's Doc Ock is one of the big reasons why. Anyway, Molina turned in a fan-favorite performance in Sam Raimi's 2004 sequel, Spider-Man 2, as Octo Octavius, a brilliant scientist who became an eight-limbed villain who pushed Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man to the limits. Molina's involvement in the upcoming Spider-Man movie was first rumored late last month when something reported that the actor had been spotted on set. Molina's involvement ties together three generations of Spider-Man movies. Jamie Foxx is returning as Electro after playing uh, the role in 2014's The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which starred uh, Andrew Garfield as the wall, wall crawler. 
And Melina's Doc Ock. Remember, guys, this is all just coming out now. It's on The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, in October, Fox suggested in a since-deleted Instagram post that three different Spider-Man could appear in the film. Marvel and Sony had no comment. So that's where we're at right now. Alfred Molina, according to The Hollywood Reporter, is coming back as Doc Ock. So we've got Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro, who was who represented the Andrew Garfield era. We have Doc Ock, played by Alfred Merlino, coming back to play Doc Ock, who represented the Tobey Maguire era. And we obviously have Tom Holland starring as the Tom Holland era of Spider-Man. Listen, guys, to me, the Jamie Foxx thing was one thing. This, to me, is the most close thing. I'm not going to say this is definitive, but this is the closest thing to definitive I think we've had so far about the possibility of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire both coming back to play Spider-Man along with Tom Holland in the new Spider-Man movie. This is the closest thing to it. Now, we've been saying for a while this is a possibility. This could happen. Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. But to me, them saying that they – and again, this is according to The Hollywood Reporter. This is not Sony announcing this. This is The Hollywood Reporter saying they have sources that are telling them this. If this dude is coming back as Doc Ock, if Alfred Molina is back as Doc Ock, to me, I now personally transition from, because we all change our opinions based on new information as it comes in. I have gone from thinking that I don't think it'll happen, but yeah, Garfield and thing coming back after all, we've got Jamie Foxx. I have now moved because of this news. From thinking it is a possibility that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are going to come back, I am now moved into I think it's likely. I certainly – I'm not willing to call this definitive. I am not willing right now to say this proves it. No, it doesn't. But I now no longer think it's only a possibility. I now think it's likely. I now think we are going to see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield playing Spider-Man again. Now, there's a lot of – there's a lot of negative things to that in my head. There's a lot of positive things to that in my head. I'm going to have to sort through this a little bit. But as of right now, Hollywood Reporter reporting that not only is Jamie Foxx back as Electro, again, representing the Andrew Garfield era of Spider-Man, we got Alfred Molina coming back as Dr. Octopus, revitalizing the Tobey Maguire era of Spider-Man. What does this all mean? I'm sure we will find out more in the days ahead, and I'm sure Robert and I will talk about this in depth on tomorrow's episode of the John Campia Show. Uh, thank you to everybody in the live chat who's pointing that one out to me. For now, let's back jump back over to the live questions that you guys have been sending in here. Uh, Hitchcock is the GOAT writes. One of two. As a kid living nine years of my military childhood in Hawaii, my favorite all-time show is Magnum P.I. It's one of my all-time favorite opening show pieces of music. The little guitar. Oh, I loved it. That was a terrible impression of the song. I don't know why I did that. It's one of my favorite shows is Magnum P.I., but that's not the only reason I loved it so much. Tom Selleck has such charisma, humor, and the ability to pull off serious drama. He always has. Yes, he has. Um, however, my all-time greatest season in television history would be Five Firefly, number four, Heroes, season one. Heroes season one, I think, is the greatest single season of television ever. My overall favorite show of all time is Battlestar Galactica, but I personally feel like the greatest single season of television was Heroes with um, Milo Ventimiglia, Heroes season one. That to me is the 
best season of television ever. Anyway, three Magnum PI season three, two Fargo season one, and one Fargo season two. Fargo three and four were good and had their moments, but were a step down. Fargo one and two were masterpieces of television. You know what's funny, Hitchcock? Ann and I were just we're we're always looking for new shows to watch. And we were scrolling through uh, my Google TV the other day, and we thought, you know, we should probably watch Fargo. Everybody talks about how great Fargo is. We should probably. So I think in the next couple of weeks, Ann and I are going to start watching Fargo from season one. So I'm going to keep my eye on that. Thanks for the recommendation on that, Hitchcock. All right, next up, uh, Mr. TJ Lynn writes, John, you start looking, you start looking like a teenage heartthrob. Yeah, my hair is getting way longer than I like it to be, but I cannot go to a hair shop right now. So yeah, my hair is like. Super, like way longer than it normally is. And you can start to see the gray. <laughs> I'm getting the Reed Richards gray in, in the side of my hair there. Uh, but my hair is getting way longer uh, than I am comfortable having it. So I'm like brushing it to the side like a five-year-old boy. But uh, that's the state of my, I've never had, the only time I've had good hair was back when I was in my band playing days. When I had hair like down to here, like I had, I, I know it's hard to believe. I used to have like long hair. That I would I would do the whole Bono thing. I would because I would pull my hair back in a ponytail in the back, and I do the whole Bono thing. But yeah, I, believe it or not, I used to have like hair down to here. It was kind of crazy. Uh, but TJ Lynn also writes, John, what's your plan for Christmas this year? It's your favorite time of year. Uh, not going home. You know, I was just talking to my mom yesterday. Uh, Canada right now, uh, who is handling the pandemic way better than the states is. Uh, Canada has a rule right now where nobody can come in from the states. And if you do come in from the states, you instantly have to go into two weeks of quarantine. And they're serious about that quarantine. And uh, it's just kind of time that I can't do. So unfortunately, uh, but, you know, Ann and I get our new house on December 16th. Ann and I just bought our first house. Thank heavens. Um, now we won't be moved in by Christmas cause we're getting some renovations done on it, but we're going to be, you know, working and, and overseeing our renovations and working on the house and stuff like that, getting everything ready for the move. So that's going to be our Christmas this year. All right. Next up, uh, Michael Bay sucks, right? I think Michael Bay is, listen, Michael Bay has made some crap. Michael Bay has made some really fun films, but whatever. John, why are actors in Michael Bay movies always gleaming? I swear it looks like they smear them with oil or something. I don't know. That's a good question. I've never really thought about it. It's just part of the aesthetic. I mean, I guess I would go into the same question about why are there always lens flares in J.J. Abrams movies, right? There, there's something about every director has a particular look that they like, right? And every director has that. And I've never thought about the one you're mentioning, but now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, there's a lot of glistening, <laughs> gleaming people. Like you're, you're right about that. I don't know. Maybe that's just the aesthetic that uh, Michael Bay likes. I've never thought I will look for that from now on. I will look for that. ZMG ruler writes, while domestic theaters will be niche, overseas movie theaters seem to be doing fine. Look at China now versus January. So while we may never see Avatar or Endgame, uh, beat, we could still get a $2 billion film. No, you'll never see a $2 billion. Not without the biggest movie, uh, not without the biggest movie, uh, territory in the world, which is still the North American territory. Also, Avatar is six million behind. Uh, you're right about that. I accidentally put an extra zero on that. Avatar is only six million dollars behind Endgame. So when they re do a re-release of that, it will pass Endgame. Mark my words, Disney will re-release. At least I believe. I don't know for a fact. I'm just speculating here, but I feel very confident about it. Disney will re-release Avatar. 
so that it can become the number one box office film of all time again, because it only has to make up like six or seven million dollars. And then they can use that in marketing Avatar 2, saying, come see the sequel to the biggest box office film of all time. Do not underestimate how valuable that is to studios. That's very valuable. And I'm telling you, I really believe Disney's going to do that. And then sometime later, they'll re-release Endgame so it can take back the number one spot. Um, I'm in denial rights. One of two. Happy Monday to the movie news goat. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Cinemas won't die. They can't die. Like bars and restaurants, we are social beings. HBO Max will entice millions of new subs over the next year. They will expect to keep them with Max Originals. Uh, like House of Dragon. As I'm sure you have different avenues to create revenue for your show, so does Warner Media. Why sacrifice the studio? Why sacrifice the studio when you can keep making cinema movies and put them on Max in three or four months? Well, that's has been their model, but they're abandoning it. It's just what they're doing. Uh, sorry, last point. This could be a play uh, to get more of the box office percentage from cinemas. Cinemas can't give up. Cinemas already take scraps. They can't survive to give up more. They simply can't survive. Uh, now it's very clear who has the power. It used to be the cinema. Now it's the streaming age. It's the studios. Perhaps 65, 35 to the studios um, uh, of our tickets to the studios. Well, here's the thing. Warner Brothers and Disney have already made it very clear. Disney especially made it very clear. I think I might have missed a question. No, I think I got them all. Yeah, I did. Um Disney made it very clear in uh, a press release and a, and a bunch of press that Bob Chapek, the new CEO of Disney, did uh, a, a while back saying that Disney is completely reorganized now to put all of its major emphasis towards direct-to-consumer product, which means Disney+. Plus. All right, That's the way they're heading. Warner Brothers sees the writing on the wall. They see how much, how further ahead Disney Plus is pulled from their HBO product. And now they think they need to do it too. So, and, and the cinemas, the cinemas are already on a razor thin margin. They can't give up anything else. You, you literally, you take away 10% of the audience on a glow, on an annual basis, cinemas go under, go out of business. You take away even more of a percentage of the ticket split price with studios Movie theaters go out of business. Like everybody underestimates just how razor thin of a margin the theaters have been on. So, I mean, listen, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for a last second Las Vegas Raiders deep ball Hail Mary pass against the New York Jets to hit the end zone and win the game in the final seconds. I'm keeping my fingers crossed for that for movie theaters. I am cheering for the movie theaters. I want the movie theaters. Pardon me as I pour my drink. I cheer for the movie theaters. I want the theatrical experience. I really do. I'm just saying it don't look good. It doesn't look good right now, but I will keep my fingers crossed and we will keep hope alive. But I uh, just, it's not looking good. All right. Orange hand writes, hey, John, got a hypothetical situation for you. Here's a successful, uh, there's a successful author who values theaters who refuses to sell the rights to their book to a studio unless the films were guaranteed the 90-day theatrical window. Would any studio in today's climate agree? No, none of them would. Not unless the only thing that would make that possible I, I can't think of a scenario that would make it possible. The only thing I can see remotely. Okay, let's go for an extreme situation. Let's take J.K. Rowling, right? Let's say she writes a new Harry Potter book. 
And then that book breaks every record for sales. Okay. It can't just be that she's going to write a new Harry Potter book, but she writes a new Harry Potter book. And then that Harry Potter book breaks all the records. Like outsells all the other Harry Potter books. In a very finite, unique example like that, maybe I could see a Warner Brothers or somebody else saying, okay, yeah, you let us have the rights to that to make those movies because we'll break that book up into seven movies (laughs) to get as much back in our investment as possible. But you give us the rights to to that book and we will put in a contract. We will put in writing 90 day theatrical window, maybe in a situation like that. But it would have to be something akin to being that extreme. Otherwise, I I can't see them doing it right now. I I can't see them playing ball with that. Who knows? Uh, Okay, next up. Uh, Yellow Orphan writes, hey, John, been watching since the Man of Steel review. It's crazy how many people started watching me once uh, once the Man of Steel review came out. Just watched your movie and I loved it. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. Your show has inspired me to watch more diverse films instead of just the popcorn flicks. And it has been eye opening. Thanks for all that you do. Oh, thank you so much for that, man. I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that I miss about the theaters is that, you know, every week, two to three to four New movies would come out every week, some of them big, some of them small, but we got to talk about them all. Um, And that's one of the things I miss right now. I really do miss that right now. But anyway, yeah, listen, thank you so much for checking out my movie. It means an awful lot to me. And thank you for being a part of our community. And thank you for sending in the kind words, man. I appreciate that. All right. Next up, Ryan writes, "Um, hey, John and crew, congrats uh, to and your wife on getting the new home. Thank you so much. My wife and I live in San Diego, uh, guys, so I know how tough the housing market is here in Southern California. My question is, did you catch the Mandalorian episode uh, the Jedi, when Ahsoka mentions Yoda by name, uh, that ever so softly in the background, Yoda's theme music from The Empire Strikes Back starts playing. Man, for some reason, that got me emotionally, uh, that got me emotionally, and once again demonstrates the importance of sound and music to a show like this. I'll be honest with you, Ryan, I didn't notice that. I was just very wrapped up in the scene, which that's part of the job of the music is just to get you fully immersed in the scene. But because I was so immersed in the scene, I wasn't really paying attention to the music. But listen, you telling me that doesn't surprise me at all. Because one of the things that Jon Favreau has done really well with this show is implementing the right music at the right time. Partially nostalgia, but also for scene setting, right? Uh, Favreau's done a magnificent job at that. And so while I didn't notice that on my first viewing, I'm going to have to go back now and look for that. While I did not notice that on my first viewing, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all to hear you tell me that. Thanks for putting that on my radar, Ryan. I really appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Wilson, the volleyball writes, hearing Rob's pessimism about normalcy by next fall really bums me out. I'm hoping the experts and scientists are right. But like Hawkeye said, don't give me hope. Uh, We just want our lives back. I'm just glad my three-year-old daughter won't be uh, won't remember this era. Yeah, listen, I, I am no doctor, right? I am no scientist. I don't share Rob's pessimism about how long it'll take us to get back. I mean, it's going to take us a while to get fully back to normal. It'll, that'll take a little while. But for us to turn a corner to where we start to see things looking normal again, I don't think it's as far off as Rob thinks. Like yesterday, the news uh, the news came out yesterday, for those of you who saw, the first actual non-trial 
just regular patient got the vaccine injections yesterday. I'm telling you what, if we can get 20 million people vaccinated, not only is that 20 million people who don't get the virus, that's 20 million people who do not become spreaders. And that exponentially starts to drop the rate if it all works. And that's yet to be seen, but that's if it all works. So I'm a little more, bit more optimistic, Wilson. I am, but then again, then again, I'm the buffoon who said back in, you know, uh, March, yeah, I think the movie theaters will be up and running again by July of 2020. I think they'll be up and running again by July. Look how that turned out. That didn't work out so well. I was optimistic then, did not work out for me, but I'm still optimistic. I, I still think, I now think with the vaccines getting out there, I think we are on the verge of turning a corner. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes, Hello, this is Peter McAllister, the father. Uh, I would like an extra large bed and a TV and one of those refrigerators you have to open with a key. Credit card, you got it. I cannot. Is, is that uh, is that Home Alone? I think that might be Home Alone. I can't. I don't recognize it very much. It's just the name that's getting me. I might have lost it. Uh, next up, Austin A. writes, Hey, John and Rob, and Rob's not here today. If Toby and Garfield do in fact show up in Spider-Man 3 and with Alfred Merlina showing up in Spider-Man 3, it's looking likely. I, I, I still don't think it's don't go running around saying it's a for sure thing. It's not, but it's kind of looking likely anyway. Um, could their appearance overtake the final battle in Endgame or cap wielding Mjolnir for pure excitement and geek gasm? I think it could give Endgame a run for its money. No, no, I don't think you give Endgame a, a run for its money. Listen, nowhere near the amount of people ever watch the Spider-Man movies that watch the Avengers movies. I mean, that's just that's just a fact. That's just a numerical statistical fact. Nowhere near the amount of people watched the Spider-Man movies that watched the Avengers movies, not to mention the Avengers had a 20 plus movie buildup. Avengers Endgame, that moment of Mjolnir flying into Cap's hands, that wasn't just a movie one shot moment. That was an accumulation of 20 plus films over the course of a decade of filmmaking that built up and crescendoed in that moment, right? That was something very special. Can we get a thrilling, awe-inspiring ending to like Spider-Man 3? Sure. Yes, I expect it. They've done a great job with their Spider-Man movies so far. Do I think it'll overtake like Endgame? No, there's not as much excitement about it as there was for Endgame and stuff like that. So I, I don't see that happening, but you never know. You never know. Let's, I, I'm sure it's going to be great. Maybe we'll top it. Who knows? All right, next up, uh, Macaulay Flower Culkin writes, Hey, John, I'm trying to set up a home theater and I have a tech question. Would you recommend a sound bar? And if so, do you have any suggestions? I feel so lost going through the options. Well, I mean, it depends on the size of your room and what it is you want to do. Listen, a good sound bar is, can be great. Uh, especially if you get one that you, you don't need one that has a separate subwoofer unit, but a good sound bar in a, in a certain size room can be wonderful. It really can. Now I had, I was very blessed that uh, JBL sent me uh, one of their sound bars and it is fantastic. Um, it is a sound bar where the ends pop off the sound bar as individual speakers. So you still have the main part of the sound bar and then the two speakers 
magnetically detach and you can place them in different places in the room. And it has this separate huge um, subwoofer cabinet and the sound is incredible. That gets really incredible. And uh, it's great. So listen, it depends on the size of your room. It depends on your budget. It depends on a lot of things. But generally speaking, yeah, a good sound bar can sound great. It really can. A good sound bar can sound great. So I wouldn't discount it out of hand. That's just now I'm not a home theater expert, just to be clear. But um, yeah, I am currently using a sound bar, as a matter of fact, right now. And I'm having a really good time with it. All right. Next up, Cesar Rivera writes. Uh, does Lionsgate have the potential to become a major studio like Sony, Warner Brothers, Disney, etc., or will it stay as a mini major? Uh, if that is, if Lionsgate wants to be a major studio. Also, I know you didn't like My Hero Academia, but maybe you should try Attack on Titan. I did try Attack on Titan. I wasn't, I wasn't very big on Attack on Titan either. I thought the graphic novel was better. Um, so I really wasn't big on Attack on Titan. The, the, the debut episode was really interesting. Didn't really love it that much. Lionsgate has the potential to be huge. But, you know, that may not be where they want to be. They make money making smaller films with the odd big hit like uh, John Wick. But they're a smaller company. They make money doing what they do. They found their groove. So yeah, I think you're right, Caesar. They may not even have any interest of being a big major player. So uh, the potential to be bigger. Yeah, they've got some great talent at Lionsgate. Full disclosure, I used to be employed by Lionsgate. I used to, um, I was the executive producer for their Comic-Con HQ, Film HQ shows. That So I've worked with, and I used to collect a paycheck from Lionsgate. So full disclosure. But sure, I think they have a lot of very, very talented people over there. Um, but I think they're comfortable where they are. That, that's just my guess. That's my guess at any rate. Um Let's see here. Uh, Senator Bail Orgasm writes, Hey, John, what are your thoughts about Harloff's argument that the Jedi uh, that will find Grogu has to be Luke or his apprentices? Makes sense because he's currently the most powerful Jedi. People are saying it will shrink the universe, but it makes sense from him to see the child. Well, I mean, I've, I've made the I, I discussed that myself weeks ago, right? Like when this all happened, I said myself that um, one of the options you guys remember Rob and I did the show and we brought this big chart and graph about who are all the possibilities of who could show up. Luke is definitely one of those possibilities. If you look at where this happens in the timeline, we're a few years removed from Return of the Jedi. Luke is out there somewhere right now in the galaxy uh, at the very beginning stages of trying to put the Jedi Order back together. Just at the very beginning of it. So he's out there. So it being Luke or maybe one of his early young younger you know apprentices, that's a possibility. It absolutely is. I still put my money on it being Ezra when you look at the fact that they have been tying more and more into rebels with Bo-Katan and you know Soka and all that kind of stuff. I, to me, I still would put if I had to bet five dollars, I'm putting five dollars on it being Ezra Bridger. Also, the popularity of the Fallen Order video game. You can't discount Cal being a possibility. I would put both Cal and Ezra ahead of Luke, but Luke is absolutely a possibility. We discussed it before, and I still think it's a chance. I wouldn't put my money on it, but it's, it is still one of the legitimate possibilities. All right, next up, uh, Thomas H.H. H. writes, Hey, John and Rob, there are two options I will watch these movies. 
There are two options. I will watch these movies, Wonder Woman 84, Dune, etc., in theaters or and on Blu-ray. That's it. No interest in HBO Max for the moment. By the way, I finally came to watch your documentary. I loved it. We'll watch it again. Greetings from Germany. Oh, thank you so much for that, Thomas. Um, listen, all I can say, look, we all have our own individual preferences. You have yours and you need to act accordingly, according to your personal preferences. And that's great. Personally, I got to say, I really like HBO. I mean, HBO has killer content, like absolutely fabulous content. Um, I love HBO. And the fact that you can sign up for HBO, not only get all that stuff, but now you can watch all the Sopranos and you can watch all of Barry and you can watch all the Watchmen and you can watch all, I mean, the the, the decade long, decades long history of just top, top notch Emmy win, winning absolute triple A list content on HBO Max, uh, HBO and HBO Max, it's, it's a great deal. It really is. So. I know I'm planning on watching Wonder Woman 84 on HBO Max on Christmas Day. Now, I also have no choice because none of the movie theaters around me are open. So uh, if movie theaters around me were open, I would go watch it in a movie theater. But they're not open around me, so I have no choice. But I would not be so quick to dismiss HBO Max, except for the fact that you're in Germany. Maybe maybe part of the reason is because they don't have it in Germany. I'm not really sure about that. But uh, anyway, I hope you're able to have a good, convenient way of watching it. And when you do, I hope you enjoy it, my friend. And thanks for watching my movie, Thomas. Seriously, I appreciate that. All right. Mary writes, let's fast forward five years from now. Let's say 80% of theaters have closed. And uh, are there only a few open in big cities? For a movie ner nerd who lives in a big city, what do you think the theater experience is going to look like? Mm, I, I, it's hard to say. Very, it won't advance much more. Like since the theatrical era is going to be over, you're not going to see continued evolution and continued advancement in theaters. It's going to kind of stay where it is right now. They're not going to invest millions of dollars in new screens and millions of dollars in new technologies. When the movie theaters become a smaller niche market, like record players and records have, you're not going to see advancements in the technology anymore. So my guess is off the top of my head that if the future evolves the way you're, the way you're kind of setting it up, my future, my guess is it'll probably look a lot like it does today. Uh, maybe even a little bit more regressed, you know, maybe we won't, we won't get IMAX anymore. We won't get, you know, the prime theaters anymore. It'll just be, it might regress a little bit like to the way movie theaters were in the early 2000s, late 1990s. So that's kind of my guess. Don't know. Uh, I don't know, but that's kind of my guess right now, Mary. It's a good question. All right. Stubble McShave writes, concerning Sony and their streaming content, Sony has several co-productions with Amazon. Yes, they do. They are a content creator, uh, one of which is the Wheel of Time series. Since they already have a partnership, there's a strong possibility that Sony will license their content out to Amazon Prime. Oh, no, absolutely. But listen, Sony also has content on other streaming platforms. Right now... Sony is a content producer and a distributor. They don't really have their own streaming platform, at least not a premium streaming platform. Yeah, they got Crackle, but I mean, who's paying attention to Crackle? So they can just take it and give content to Amazon, but then they can, but listen, what could happen is Sony just goes, gets into content creation and they become a, a content producer. What they will do is with every piece of content, they'll just sell it to the highest bidder. 
you know, if Apple Plus says, hey, let's say they make, um, you know, I don't know, Adventures of the Nipple Riders. I don't know. There you go. That's a movie. Sony produces a movie called Adventures of the, the Nipple Riders. So Apple looks at Adventures of the Nipple Riders and says, wow, that's that movie looks great. We love it. We'll give you 150 million for it. And Amazon looks at it and says, that looks great. We'll give you 125 million for it. Well, they're going to give it to Apple Plus. And then the next movie they might give to Amazon. So I don't know that they would sign an exclusive deal. Sony has content all over the place. And I think they would continue to do that. But who knows? Maybe it would become advantageous to sign an exclusive content providing deal with an Apple TV Plus or an Amazon or something like that. They partner with a lot of different people, but maybe it would behoove them to enter in some kind of a uh, exclusive arrangement with one of those providers. Who knows? Have to wait and see. Uh, let's see. Next up, Stella McShave also writes, if the focus will be on streaming with many of the studios, do you think they will pay up the extra money to get them in IMAX format? If not, does that spell the end of IMAX theaters? Um, let me just drop something here. Um, I, I don't see what the future for IMAX is right now. I, I honestly, I don't know what the future for IMAX is. Um, if I own stock now, again, I don't know, but if I own stock in IMAX right now, I'm selling it. That's a, that's just me though. Maybe I'm missing a big piece of the puzzle that I'm not seeing right now, but, uh, yeah, stubble. I gotta say again, if I was a shareholder in IMAX, I'd be selling my shares right now. All right. Ben Elman writes. Hey, John and Rob, a Disney Plus original I haven't heard too many people talking about is their new adaptation of the right stuff. This is true. I just watched it and found it very interesting. Only knowing parts of the story beforehand would recommend giving it a watch. You know, you're absolutely right. Nobody is talking about the right stuff. I think part of it is because they should have probably at least given it a different name because there was a movie by the same name. And it's like, I think that caused some confusion. And it's like, oh, well, we've already seen that. I'm not against retelling a real life story in a different way, but you got to market it. So it's really stands out and there's strong differentiation between what the old one was. One the, and I've never sensed that. And all I can say is for me as a potential audience member, I've never felt any desire to watch the right stuff. Cause I've already seen the right stuff. You know what I mean? And maybe that's just a mental game, like so like the way they, they play with marketing. But yeah, that's just kind of the way I see it. All right, Alan writes, hey, John and Rob, obviously Rob not here today. He's out being a responsible citizen, getting his COVID test today. It's the only time he could get it done. I was talking with a friend and he mentioned a Mandalorian plot idea. What would you think uh, if a dark side user answered Grogu's call? By the way, we call him Baby Yoda around here. Uh, and then the third season of Mando is working with Ahsoka or another Jedi to bring him back to the light side. I don't like that. Uh, but number, number one, because I don't like the Ahsoka Tano character. But that aside, even if you take a character that I really love, let's say um, Hera Syndulla, right? Take Hera from, from Rebels. I love that character. This show is supposed to be the Mandalorian. It's not supposed to be characters from other shows who have now come back up. Even if it's one of my absolute favorites in Hera. I don't want it. I don't want that. If you want to do a, a Rebel spinoff show or a show taking some of the characters from Rebels and, and Clone Wars and give them their own spinoff show to bring them into live action, great. Go for it. I'm all for it. 
But no, I don't want any characters coming in to hijack Mando's show. This is Mandalorian. You want to bring in these characters as a little side? What? That's fine. But personally, I wouldn't be for that. And it's not because it's Ahsoka. You could make it my favorite characters. It doesn't matter. It's Mando's show. Keep it on Mando. That's just me. All right, next up. And plus, how do you turn a baby who can't even speak yet back to the light side? I, yeah. So personally, I'm not big on the idea. I'm not big on the idea. All right. Jesse writes, one of two. Why streaming content sucks for the majority of the country? It doesn't matter if the Mandalorian is in HDR with 4K. I don't live in a major city, so I don't even have high-speed internet. Uh, every episode of Mando I've watched has been mostly in 480p. I feel that most rural areas have this issue, which is why I'm not thrilled about this new streaming-first mentality. It doesn't matter how beautifully a film is shot. If I can't load that higher resolution, it looks like garbage. Well, I mean, that has been one of the biggest... What you're bringing up, Jesse, is completely valid that has been one of the biggest hurdles for years about any kind of streaming content right that's been one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of people for a long time my mom and dad uh they live out of the campia ranch it's a very very rural area it's right they got 200 acres of a lot of nothing right so they for a long time have relied on like this they were for a long time relied on this very bad satellite internet that got them like four or five megabits per second download. Now that was actually enough for them to be able to have Netflix. I, I got my mom and dad like a Roku a long time ago, and they've been able to load up Netflix and they can watch everything. You just can't get it in high resolution. Right. But that's starting to change. You know, Elon Musk has this new starry internet. Have you guys heard about this? where literally the entire planet is going to be covered with high-speed internet, where you'll be able to get like 200 megabits download and like 40 or 50 megabits upload, which is faster than my cable connection right now. I mean, not faster than my cable download. I have like 800 megabit download, but I only have like 30 megabit upload, which is plenty fast. But, you know, that they're now they've already started rolling it out. So we, we see streaming now starting to make this transition as globally available quality internet. I won't say super high, fat, high speed fast, but quality global wide coverage internet is starting to become available. And I think we're going to see both of these things kind of hit this maturation curve at the same time. And so it will become, um, it will become a, a easier proposition. I think in the coming year, you're going to see that become a, a better situation. So it may take a little longer for everywhere, but they've already started rolling it out and it could become a really good option for a lot of people, especially in rural areas. Uh, Jesse, absolutely. I know it's going to be a godsend for my parents. I know I'm going to get it for my parents uh, because when I go to the Campy Ranch, I want much better internet than what I get when I go to the Campy Ranch right now. So I'm definitely going to get that for my mom and dad. All right. Chris, the ultimate jabroni sends in $20. Thank you so much, Chris, for supporting the channel on that level, man. We appreciate that. Uh, hey, John, love the show. Here's my prediction on Baby Yoda's message. Uh, Luke will train him. However, due to Republic business, he will not respond to the message directly and will send Chewbacca. Uh, Want to see him interact with Boba Fett? Um, maybe. I mean, that's not the craziest thing. That sounds like if you che- imagine this. Imagine you're in the finale. You're in the, the season finale of Mando in two weeks. And all of a sudden, the Millennium Falcon shows up. Not doesn't have Han Solo on board, 
but Chewie comes out. We talked a little bit er earlier about spontaneous ejaculation across the planet. That would probably cause that too. I've not even considered that, but you know what? The way Favreau's been been doing things with this show, that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Again, it's kind of shrinking the universe. Again, it's let's bring in another big surprise guest of the week that everybody already knows. But let's not fool ourselves. Chewbacca, the Millennium Falcon shows up in the series finale and Chewbacca comes walking out of it to help Mando and the rest of them get you know this baby Yoda because Luke sent him to go find whoever sent that force message. That'd make a lot of people very, very excited. Or who knows? Maybe... Maybe Han Solo comes out. Maybe they get whatever the name. I keep forgetting the name of the kid. Um, the kid who plays Sol Han Solo in the Solo movie. Maybe the Falcon shows up and him and Chewie come walking out and help them because Luke sent them. I don't know. But I mean, at this point, Chris, I'm not going to put anything by by Favreau. I'm not going to put anything by him. So I will we'll have to keep our eyes open for that. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. All right. Next up, Ron Lee writes. Hey, John. So I'm curious, what's going to happen to Spider-Man if theaters go away? We know Disney wants content. They own uh, the, the content that they own on Disney Plus. But do you think they make a deal with Sony to keep these movies connected uh, or or this partnership done after this agreement? That's a very good question, because right now Sony has the Sony has the production and the distribution rights to Spider-Man. They currently are in a deal where they allow Marvel to produce Spider-Man movies that Sony then is the distributor of. That means Marvel makes the movies in consultation with Sony, but then Sony decides what to do with those movies. There's still this massive misunderstanding out there. A lot of people out there think Disney makes the decisions about what happens with Spider-Man. They don't. Sony makes all the decisions about what to do with Spider-Man once it's produced. And Disney and Kevin Feige have to work with Sony in deciding what happens in the movies, but then Marvel goes ahead and makes the movies because Sony allows them to. It's very important to understand that. Under the terms of their current agreement, Sony still has the production rights, but they allow Marvel to make them right now. But ultimately, Sony decides what to do with those movies. If Disney goes completely Disney Plus, what happens? If Sony decides, no, we don't want our Spider-Man movies to just go straight to Disney Plus, well, then maybe Disney says, well, then we're not going to make any more Spider-Man movies, to which Sony will go, fine. I don't know. That, that's a situation, Ron, that could get kind of messy. Right now, they're in an agreement and in an arrangement that is working for everybody. I'm sure Disney reps are talking to Sony reps right now, begging them to let them put the new Spider-Man movie on Disney Plus. Whether Sony agrees to it or not, who knows? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But that's a situation that could become a hot spot too, man. That that's a situation that could become very volatile. Depending on how, I mean, maybe they'll all be really agreeable with each other though. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up, Taki75 writes. Popular demand, John. A reaction video of you and Anne for the for the latest uh, epic rap battle of history, Harry Potter versus Luke Skywalker. Trust me, it's hilariously savage. I enjoy those videos. I do. I don't do reaction videos. Just you know, I I don't do them. I have no problem with reaction videos. I've even tr in the past done a couple of reaction videos, but I, they they're not me. I I don't do. I I know. Listen, believe me. 
I know there's a lot of things I could do to get tons more viewers if all I cared about was getting more viewers. Um, doing reaction videos is definitely one of those. I know reaction videos, they're huge. And there are people out there who do them great. People like Greg and The Real Rejects, people like Drew and Struggle Nation. You know, there are great reactors out there. I'm reacting is not my thing, even though I know I could do that. I know I could get a whole bunch more views if I wanted to do drama. If I wanted, if I wanted to be a bottom dweller, you know, and a piece of asshole lint and go, Ooh, my YouTube channel is going to be talking about other YouTubers. If I wanted to be that kind of a pathetic cretin, I could do that and get lots of views. I could get tons and tons of views. Uh, if I wanted to do, there's a lot of things I know I could do to just get more pure raw viewers and numbers. You know, I know I could, and, and definitely reactions is one of those things. But it's just, it's not me. Again, I, I can like some reactions, but it, it's just not me. I can't do them. I can watch reactions and enjoy them, but I can't do reactions. It's just not my thing. Um, so no, unfortunately, Taki, uh, while I will go and check out that thing, I've seen it pop up in my feed. I will definitely go and check out that thing. Uh, but uh, no, I will probably not. Uh, be doing uh, doing a reaction to that particular thing. No, that's probably not me. All right. Willow writes, uh, do you find that early reactions to a movie often skew more towards positive? Uh, is it perhaps because people who like a movie are more eager to give their thoughts, whereas those who don't tend to stay silent until review embargo has been lifted? I think that is definitely a part of it. Like, listen, I when everything was normal, like when I was back with AMC or Collider, I would see every movie early. Right. So I notice some people think, oh, my God, getting to go see a movie early must be the greatest thing in the world. Eh, it wears off. Believe me, you wouldn't care after you do it four or five times. You wouldn't care anymore. You really wouldn't. Um, and so it, it makes me laugh when I hear people say people only gave a movie a good review because they got to see it early. No, no. If 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 you never did this ever, maybe. But once you do it a few times, you realize the novelty wears up. You don't care. Like, really, you only go to see it early because you have to because it's your job and you got to write about it. It's really not considered a big, a big perk. It's really not. Anyway. So I, I, I just dismiss and reject out of hand these people who go, yeah, because I saw it early. Okay, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. So just shh. Anyway. But. I do think there's something to what you're saying, Willow, where, cause I know when I've come out of a movie and I've really loved it, I'm just like, I got to talk about it. I got to talk about this. I got to tell people about it. Right. So there's that when I come out of a movie being unimpressed or thinking, blah, I, I, I don't really feel the need to, I need to get on social media right now and tell everybody how mediocre I think the movie is. You know what I mean? So I do think there's probably something to that. I, I think there probably is a psychology to that. You might be right about it. I haven't really considered that, but that could be a very, very valid thing. All right, next up. Um, Ryan Loner writes, I have to admit of the many reasons I want to see Lord of the Rings on the big screen again, a major one is getting to see the epic awkwardness that washes over the whole audience when that produced by Harvey Weinstein post credit comes up. I don't think anybody will be, well, nobody watches the post credits anyway. It, it is... That's weird, man. I mean, all throughout history, too, you like you go back to there's some real characters in the 50s and 60s that 
you wouldn't want to be associated with, but their names will pop up in credits, right? It is what it is. Can't change history. It is what it is. All right, next up. Uh, make some trouble rights. Who is getting the 4K box set of Lord of the Rings for Christmas? Supposed to be epic. And are you excited for the cast announcement for the prequel series on Prime? It's happening. Great show. Thank you so much. Uh, Make some trouble. I am not a physical media guy. So I will not be getting the collector's edition stuff of Lord of the Rings, even though the Lord of the Rings are amongst my favorite films of all time. I'm a streaming guy, so I don't like having to keep up physical things that can get lost or damaged or misplaced and they have to take up space. And yeah, I I really haven't been a physical media guy for six, seven, eight years. I stopped collecting once in a while. Like I'll, I'll be in a Best Buy and it's like, oh my God, like best of the best for $2. Okay. Like that's happened a couple of times, but for the most part, I am not a streaming guy. That doesn't mean I'm not super pumped about the movies themselves. I just have a certain way. I like to watch them and, and a certain way I like to own them. And for me, that's digitally, but yeah, but I'm super stoked for it. I am excited for this, for this uh, Lord of the Rings show. I am so excited, especially when you look at the people involved behind the scenes with it. Very, very stoked, very excited. And listen, Amazon, Their track record of what they put on their network is great. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel won all those Emmys for a reason. That show is amazing. The Boys, that show is amazing. Amazon has done great stuff with their original programming things, the things they put on. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. Make some trouble. All right. Tristan Thorpe writes. Currently on season six of The Clone Wars, as someone who doesn't like the prequels and that uh, and, and And that was the trilogy I grew up with. The show is a mixed bag for me. More pros than cons, that's for sure. And Ahsoka is, all right, I guess. But I get the hype, honestly. Yeah, I am one of the, I'm one of the few people, I'm the odd man out when it comes to Clone Wars. Um, I'm not a fan of Clone Wars overall. I am, I am a much bigger fan of Rebels. I, I prefer Rebels, which is, I mean, it's the same guy who made both, but I prefer Rebels over Clone Wars kind of vastly, to be honest with you. Um, Clone Wars never felt like Star Wars to me. Now, that being said, there are things in Clone Wars that I thought were really good. And there were certainly certain storylines that I thought were better than others and certain episodes that were better than others and certain seasons that were better than others. Uh, But just overall, for me, it's a little bit, I'm on the other side. Like To me, the cons outweighed the pros. Unlike, say, Rebels, again, made by the same people, where the pros outweighed the cons. Rebels just felt more like Star Wars to me. And again, I'm not trying to convince anybody else. This, I'm in the minority on this. I, I totally acknowledge that, and I'm totally comfortable being in the minority on this. But yeah, but uh, but the, the one thing I never liked was the Ahsoka character. I hated the Ahsoka character from day one that she showed up in that god-awful uh, Clone Wars movie. And through all the things they did with their moving on, it never redeemed the character for me. And uh, and it is what it is. But much like a lot of other things, I, I preferred the Ahsoka character in Rebels. I thought they used the character a little bit better in Rebels, although I didn't like it how they tried to make the show about her. And I really liked her episode in Mandalorian. And that's saying something. If the guy who traditionally does not like that character says, wow, she really worked in that episode. And then, then that says a lot. That's how good it was. So who knows? Maybe that can be a turning point for a live action Ahsoka that I can then get on board with and get into. We'll have to wait and see. All right, next up. 
Jeff Gunston writes, Oh my God, again, I understand that announcing how many films you have planned is a bad idea, but Marvel does it every few years and it's okay. I think if Star Wars 7 through 9 planned ahead, it would have been helpful, not to mention the Dune films and Avatar. There's a huge, there's a huge difference. Now, Jeff is talking about the fact that, you know, they've already come out and said that uh, Marv Studios has come out and said that they're, they've got seven more Kingsman movies planned, right? Seven. Okay, great. The problem is they've done two and they're one in one. The first Kingsman is fantastic. I love it. Second Kingsman is really bad. Uh, I dislike it more and more every time I watch it. It really is. The first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I guess it was all right. And then I watched the second time. I was like, nope, I was completely fooling myself. This is a terrible movie. The second Kingston's, Kingsman sucks. So they're one in one. The Marvel is a false comparison. Because Marvel is making these announcements already having 20 plus films under their belt, or they've already completely established their universe. They've already established Marvel films are going to be around for the next 10 years, maybe more. So for a studio to come out that had made Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, and they were all successes and then do Avengers and they're all successes and the audiences love them and they're setting box office records for them to then say, okay, we've got the next five movies planned out. That's a lot easier to swallow because they already have a track record of success, a track record of success and quality. The Power Rangers, when they came out and Saban came out before the last movie uh, debuted and Saban came out and said, we're going to do seven, eight and nine Power Rangers movies. Okay. Okay. Chief problem is you, you, you haven't established any quality yet and you haven't established any track record of, of success with these movies yet. Maybe you're getting ahead of or, or yourselves. When universal came out and announced, we're going to do all these dark universe movies with the monsters and invisible man. And we're going to, you know, whatever and whatever. We're starting things off with the mummy. Okay. Okay. Good job captain but here's the problem you haven't established anything yet you haven't established quality you haven't established success maybe you're getting a little bit ahead of yourselves and i feel like with the kingsman stuff they've got a third movie coming out great let's see how that is let's see if it performs well and let's see if people like it because right now to me you're batting 500 you're one in one one big great great accomplishment one kind of a sad failure Let's see how it go. The Marvel situation is totally different. Marvel already had long success, both quality-wise, fan reaction, business, box office. And, and so that's a different place to then announce five more films, eight more films, whatever from there, because you've already kind of established it. So I think it's kind of a different situation, Jeff. I think it's a different situation. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, man. Garden Variety Vagabond writes, Hey, John, it was just announced that the breakdancing, that breakdancing will be added to the 2024 Paris Olympics. No shit. Uh, you could compete under Italy, U.S. or Canada. Which would you choose to represent? Oh, well, if I was in the Olympics for breakdancing, for those of you who don't know why he's asking, I actually used to be a breakdancer professionally. As a matter of, we actually got paid for it. If you get paid to do something, you are professional, technically speaking, but. And some people think I'm joking. I'm not joking. It's really, I was. Um, I think this is the dumbest thing in the world. I think making breakdancing, as a breakdancing fan, I think making breakdancing an Olympic event is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Almost as dumb. Almost as done. 
dumb as the Oscars having a best popular movie category. Almost as dumb. Uh, but anyway, if in a weird twisted world that I could still do anything and I was actually in the Olympics, who would I represent? Oh, dude. I, I mean, it's, Hey, listen, I'm very, very proud of my Italian heritage and I very much enjoy this country that I live in right now, but there's a flag back there for a reason, dude. Uh, yeah, it would be, I'd be representing the true North strong and free my brothers and sisters for, for I am Canadian to the core. I bleed, uh, my, my Canadian color. So yeah, it would definitely be for Canada, but it's still the dumbest thing I've ever heard. All right. Next up, Tim Platt writes. Hey, Pittsburgh, that's a pretty perfect record you got there. Be a shame if someone messed it up. Hashtag Alex Smith, comeback player of the year. I'll tell you what. So listen, you don't have to be a sports fan to really appreciate this. I have been, I'm not a Washington Redskin fan, but I have been cheering my guts out for Alex Smith. Alex Smith is one of the true great comeback stories ever. Um, Alex Smith, who was the quarterback of the 49ers, they never should have let him go. I think he is a very good quarterback. I think he's the type of, he's not flashy like a lot of the, the quarterbacks are, but he is just a solid, solid, will take you down the field and will win you games kind of quarterback. I've always liked Alex Smith. A couple of years ago, when he was playing for the Washington, at the time known as the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington football team, he suffered one of the most brutal leg injuries you'll ever see in football. He had, I think they said 20 plus surgeries and he almost died. He came close to dying. They brought his family, they called his family, said, you should probably come to the hospital. I mean, it was, and his, his, they had had to cut away so much of his leg. He was practically down to the bone on his leg. I mean, he had got infected and all these nasty, nasty things. And they thought he could die. And if he didn't die, it was questionable if he'd be able to walk again, but he certainly would never play football again. And a couple of weeks ago, because a number of the quarterbacks in front of him got injured, Alex Smith took to the NFL playing field. And I've been cheering my guts out for him ever since. And it's not that I wanted the Redskins to beat the Steelers, because I like the Steelers, but you can't help but sit back. And when you look at the coach, Coach Rivera, who went through his own cancer battles in the offseason, and now he's back. And Alex Smith, who people said would never play football again. I think they're tied for first place in the division now. Listen, this is the type, this is why sports are great. It is better drama than you can write. It's better human stories than you can actually write in a screenplay. Um, and so congratulations to Alex Smith. I love seeing what's happening with this dude. And I, I hope for great, great things for him. All right, next up. Um, uh, let's see, where are we at? That was Tim. All right, next up, uh, Anthony writes, Hey, John, so breakdance who will make his debut at the 2024 Olympics in Paris. Maybe you should uh, be on the, be the coach for Canada. I, I am on it. Nucleus. Uh, yeah, no, no. I still think it's the dumbest thing in the world, but I, I read that headline that breakdancing was going to be an Olympic sport. And I thought this has to be a joke, but nope, it's true. 100% true. ZMG ruler writes, Box Office Pro currently tracks Wonder Woman 84's opening weekend between 15 to 30 million domestic, finishing between 30 to 60 million. Uh, foreign between 275 to 300 million, meaning 305 to 400 million global. Think it'll be lower, higher, or somewhere in between. Uh, Warner Brothers should have done HBO Max Christmas Day only. 
Um, well, no, listen, they got to work out a way that's going to benefit their project and their movie as much as they can. So they're doing what they can. I think it's going to be lower than that. I hope it's higher, man. Listen, there is nothing I would love more than for the, for this entire course to change and for the movie theater industry and for film fans to send a statement very clear to the studios. We value the movie going experience. This is where you'll make your money. I would love nothing more than for that to happen. I don't think that's going to happen though, but I would love nothing more. Uh, and I actually think it's going to be under, under that. I even think it's going to be under that 305 number. I think it might even be under 305. I don't know that. I'm not making a bold prediction here. Just be clear. I, I, but off the top of my head, I'm guessing it might even be lower than that. But I'll be cheering for it. I'll absolutely be cheering for it. Let's wait and see. All right, next up, Johnny writes, Hey, John, took me a bit longer, but I finally got to watching your movie. Oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I really liked it. It was very interesting. And that sign off. Uh, thank you for making it available worldwide. Wouldn't have been able to watch it otherwise. I'm glad I did stay safe. Damn, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And yeah, isn't the there's this uh, woman who is the co-president of the longest running trailer company in the business. And she kind of does the sign off. Uh, of the movie and she just what she talks about and what she says is so great. I won't give it away, but it's uh, it really is a wonderful sign off. Thanks to her. So thank you so much, Johnny, for checking out the movie. And I hope the rest of you will, uh, will go give the movie a shot as well. All right, guys, just time for a couple more here. Uh, Johnny also writes. Also, did the last episode of the Mandalorian change what you think about episode five in season one, the one on Tatooine? If only foresight uh, and planning were infectious around Lucasfilm. No, it doesn't. It's still, I think, the worst episode of that season. Listen, it's great if you use episodes. Like, for instance, I think that the um, episode two of this season, where they crash on the snow planet, that does plant some seeds and some foreshadowing with certain characters and all that kind of stuff. But they made a fun, engaging, really good episode at the same time. That episode of Mandalorian was the worst one that they did. The one on Tatooine last season. And, and yeah, I get it. They were planting some seeds, but you still got to build a good episode around it. You still got to build a fun episode around it. And they failed to do that. So no, it doesn't change the way I view that. Uh, I mean, obviously, when Boba Fett's feet show up at the end of that episode, we knew it was foreshadowing something to come later, but um, it doesn't make the episode a good episode. It's still, I mean, in my opinion, it was still a bad episode, but that's just me. All right. Basil writes, trivia. In the French world, Star Trek was originally known as Patrouille du Cosmos, which translates to Cosmos Patrol. <laughs> that's interesting. More trivia. To this day, Darth Vader's name in the French dub is Darth or Dark Vader, because the TH sound doesn't exist in French. I did not know that. And I studied French in school. Je m'appelle Jean. Comment t'appelles tu? Uh, I actually had to, because I, I'm Canadian, so I had to study French in school. For, but I never knew that. That, really, I, th I, I find that Cosmos Patrol is even more, interest more interesting than Dark Vader. Dark Vader makes sense, actually, when you think about it. But Cosmos Patrol... I never knew that. I wish Rob was here to hear that little bit of trivia. That's really cool. Thank you for that, Basil. All right. Froygon Jin writes, love the Mandalorian spoiler discussion you and Ann do. Thank you so much. Will you be doing the same for the MCU shows? Yes. Ann and I were just talking about this the other day because it's the only thing Ann and I get to do together professionally 
is Anne comes on and does the Mandalorian spoiler reviews with me, right? And I love doing it with her. And I uh, love having her on the show. And I know you guys love having her on the show as well. So she and I were just talking the other day about, should we do the same thing for um, WandaVision? And we decided, yes, we are going to do spoiler. Me and Ann will do spoiler discussion shows for WandaVision. Now, if we get through two episodes of WandaVision and we don't like the show, we'll probably stop. But uh, yeah, right now the plan is for us to do a WandaVision spoiler discussion videos. Thank you for asking, man. All right. Jesse writes. With us now having both Bo-Katan with her group and Boba Fett be Mandalorians who remove their helmets, and with Mando learning he basically grew up in a cult, do you think we will see Mando change his ways and remove his helmet in front of others? I don't think so. Because, listen, just because he finds out there are other Mandalorians, here's the thing. Now, that's possible. That is possible. The reason I don't think they will, though, is because from a narrative point of view, that's great the Mandalorian finds out other Mandalorians can do that, but that doesn't change the way he was raised. He was raised to believe in a certain way. This is the way. This is the way. And I think he's going to want to live his life in honor of that code. Even if it's different from some other Mandalorians, I believe he will still hold on to that code. It's the same thing. Right, A lot of other Mandalorians who are part of that sect understand that other Mandalorians take off their helmets, but they choose not to. So, again, I don't know. They very well could do things that way, but I think they will keep it that he keeps the helmet on. At least that's what I, what I think they'll do. And honestly, between you and me, guys, I kind of hope he does. I kind of hope he does. All right, next up. Jesse writes, wait, did Mando just lose his iconic rifle too? Maybe, because I think the rifle was on that ship, was on the Razor Crest. I don't remember him having it during the fight, which means it was probably on the Razor Crest and the ship was the only thing that survived. You never know. Like, he could dig through the rubble and find it. Like, I don't know, maybe it was in a case and it survived the explosion. I don't know. But yeah, that's where I'm thinking too, Jesse. I think it looks like that iconic super long rifle that disintegrates everybody. Remember how fun that was when he was just blowing the... Jawas up looks so cool. Poor, poor Jawas. But yeah, I, it looks like that uh, thing may have bought it. It looks like that may have bought it. All right. Last question of the day, guys. Um, Nick uh, Garula writes, John, not sure if you heard, but uh, it is official. 2024 Olympics will have breakdancing as an official sport. We've talked about it. Uh, time to get the boys back together, revive the Pisces title, and bring home the gold. The reason he's saying Pisces is because I used to belong to a breakdancing crew called the Zodiac Crew. Uh, I'm not, it's as dumb as it sounds. It is as dumb as it sounds. I used to dance in a crew called the Zodiac Crew, and we used to go by our Zodiac names. And uh, me being born when I was, I went by the name of Pisces. And it is as dumb as it sounds. It is as dumb as it sounds. All right, we're not going to end on a breakdancing question. We'll end on Senator Baylor Gasman, who writes, Hey, John and gang, do you think Christopher Nolan's phone is ringing like a bitch right now? Absolutely. Uh, do you think he's getting bombarded by emails uh, from other studios attracting him now that he's expressed his disappointment on Warner Brothers' decision? Or will Warner Brothers work it out? Thanks. Well, I mean, listen. <sighs> I Is... Nolan's phone blowing up right now. Absolutely it is. 1,000% it is. That being said, in professional life, you can have massive disagreements and arguments and even fights, 
But at the end of the day, still realize that there is too much mutual benefit in us working together to not overlook or get past the argument and the fight and the disagreement, right? So there, there, is, there is that to it. So I still think there's a very good chance that despite Christopher Nolan expressing his savage displeasure in what Warner Brothers and HBO has done, uh, you know, going behind the backs of other filmmakers and blah, blah, blah. I still don't think it's a foregone conclusion that him and Warner Brothers have ended their their working relationship. I still think that can be worked out. But I also agree, Senator, that, yeah, his phone's blown up. His phone is blowing the hell up right now uh, with other people saying, so, uh, you know, it's uh, Eddie from Paramount. You know, I uh, couldn't help but see in the uh, trades that uh, you and Warner Brothers are a little bit of the outs. You know, we've got about 18 different scripts. We'd love you to take a look at, Christopher, if you're uh, if you're interested. You know what I'm saying? Why did I make that clicking noise? I have no idea. But um, yeah, but again, I don't think the story is necessarily over for him and Warner Brothers, but we will see. We will see. All right, listen, guys, there were still a few questions left. We got Chad Johnson and Mr. Kim and uh, KW Garrett. Do not worry, guys. We will start off tomorrow's show by starting off with your questions when we get to the live questions part of the show. You know, Rob and I are going to have to talk about this uh, Alfred Molina thing. We're definitely going to have to talk about the Alfred Molina thing. So make sure you come back and join us for that and all your questions will be answered. By the way, guys, don't forget, you can start sending in live questions early if you want. You can go anytime, 24-7 over to that tip link at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip and your question will get in queue and it'll be read on the next show. So thank you to all you guys who sent that in and thank you for supporting the channel. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's episode of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your day. Special thank you to all you guys who did send in those super chat questions or those uh, those tip questions because, number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here are very, very grateful for your support, guys. All right, guys, don't forget, do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campion. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.